Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. You can't afford one. The court will point one for you. Do you understand your rights? When the wolf is at your door, you're running so that's for sure. You already know all about you. Cut you down. This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And today, we are beginning season 13 of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And y'all, it's been five years now. And and I want to thank each and every one of y'all for listening and sharing and voting us for to be the winners of all the podcast awards over the years and and coming to all our live shows and you hearing this. Tuesday after the fourth annual crew bash, which I know is going to be another huge success and um, just appreciate y'all. And, you know, we celebrated getting justice for Courtney Coco finally. And I know the Courtney Coco series was long, um, but today I'm going back to telling you an old cop story. Okay. Um, And that's, pretty much the format that we're going to have going from this point forward on real life, real crime. And I'm sure we'll have some different things, but mostly I'm going back to the original old Woody stories. Okay. So I'm going to take you, well, first of all, I'm going to name this episode seatbelt and 
couple hundred of y'all may have heard me do the story. I did it on the first live I ever did um, at the Southeastern Livingston Center in many years ago, but I'm going to tell it a little bit different today. Back then I was restricted because they had kids in the room and stuff like that and what I could say. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to set up the story for you. On June the 25th in 2004, y'all, I was working as a detective with the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And we only had eight detectives that covered everything from theft of a garbage can to homicide, okay? And the on the weekends, you had two detectives that were assigned to work the weekends. And they would work... Um, they would split it day shift and night shift. But if a homicide or something big happened, you you both go out and roll out on it. But on June the 25th, the dispatch received a 911 call from the Linda Road trailer park. And it was about a missing female. So they this was around six o'clock in the evening. And so they dispatched a blue and white or uniform patrol deputy to the residence. And now the Linda road trailer park, y'all you hear me talk about trailer parks all the time. This is especially the bad ones. Linda road trailer park wasn't a bad one. Okay. Uh, I mean, you certainly had some calls in there from time to time, um, but nothing really major, you know, and, this trailer park, if you pull into it, it, you had a driveway where you pull in and you had trailers on both sides. It would go down and make a U-shaped turn in the back of it, and you come out the other side. And you had trailers on both sides, and they were fairly close together. Um, you know, good people for the most part, and certainly had some domestic violence calls and stuff like that and uh, over the years, but nothing to this magnitude. But the uniformed deputy responds to this trailer, and he meets a man, and this guy says, hey, my sister is missing. Now, the sister's name was Lisa Taylor, and I've gotten some information over the years on this case, y'all, from lifers that knew Lisa. Um, and Lisa was a, a single mom, um, and she – had a job for years. She worked every day, never missed a day of work. Everybody loved her. Um, she drove a, a little Nissan Frontier, whatever the name of that truck is. Uh, I believe it was white in color. But the deputy arrives and meets Lisa's brother, who also happened to live in the trailer park a couple doors down. And he had got home from work and went over to visit with Lisa, and she wasn't there. But her truck was there, and that was strange to him. And then he entered the trailer, and he saw in the kitchen area, as soon as you entered the trailer, you walked into the kitchen, and he saw the kitchen area, and on the table were Lissa's car keys, her purse, her cell phone, and even her cigarettes and lighter. And her two dogs that were inside, um, he said, you know, they looked like they hadn't been fed or let out or anything, and Lisa was nowhere to be found. So he had tried to call her and couldn't get her. And so he just thought it was very strange. Now, 
the uniformed deputy takes the report and he asks a couple questions and he said, well, you know, uh, when was the last time you saw her? He said, well, I saw her yesterday. And he said, um, does anybody else live here? And, and he said, yeah, she has a boyfriend named Stephen Foster. Now, y'all, Stephen Foster was 19 years old, and I believe Lissa was like 38. So huge age difference there. And they had been dating for some time, uh, maybe like six months, and he'd been living with her for a couple months at this time. Well, guess what? They can't get in touch with Stephen Foster either, okay? And, but at six o'clock in the evening is when everybody's getting home from work and that's the busiest call time for uniform patrol. So everybody's calling in the, their house has been broken into or whatever it may be. They're having got home and had an argument with their neighbor, but all these calls have to be answered. Every 911 call has to be answered just like this one. So he takes, the information down and he's thinking, well, you know what? It could be, they went off for a weekend together. And even though Stephen Foster didn't have a car, he, he got around by bicycle. Um, they could have gone somewhere together. And, you know, it's not really, uh, he didn't see any the deputy looked in inside the trailer, didn't see any blood or any sign of foul play even. Uh, um, so he made the report and he called it in and entered her into the NCIC computer as a missing person. Now, what that does, y'all, is when you're entered into NCIC, if if Liz would have got stopped, say, in Atlanta, Georgia, and they ran her name or driver's license, it would come back as a hit that she was a missing person out of Livingston Parish, Louisiana, and they would call Livingston Parish and say, hey, we got her. Um, she's, you know, she's safe or, or whatever. Find out what the status is. But Deputy has other calls to go catch. But he called a supervisor and said, hey, got a report of a missing lady here. You know, uh, her boyfriend's gone too, so it may not be anything to it. And the supervisor said, well, you know what? Go ahead and call the detective that's on duty for the weekends. This was a Friday, y'all. Uh, yeah, definitely was a Friday night. Go ahead and call the detective uh, because you got other calls to catch and let him know what's going on, and he can stop by and speak to him. So he did that, and he called the detective. The detective went out and talked to the brother, um, looked around himself, didn't see any sign of foul play, but – Still strange that oh, even her cell phone was there. The 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 strange that a woman would leave her purse and her car keys and and all that. I mean, I don't know a female anywhere that goes leaves without her purse and and, and her purse had her makeup and lipstick and and everything a female needs, right? So, I mean, he talked to to the brother and, and told him, say, okay, well, you know, if you hear something, let us know. Because basically all you have now are, are two adults that are missing. And there's not really much we can do about it other than enter into NCIC. So now, like I told you, the detective, he would have been working the night shift part of the weekend. He's got other calls. He's got a rest to make and – 
and things to follow up on one of the other cases. So he's got to go 10-8 or back in service. And Friday night passes and Saturday comes. Well, listen, never came home. All right. The brother is getting worried. Uh, he even went and talked to um, Stephen's grandmother who lived in the trailer park and nobody had seen Stephen. So the detective gets called back out and they're like, hey, something's wrong. And actually, uh, the brother had talked to one of the sister's uh, co-workers and she said, you know what? The strangest thing happened yesterday morning. I got to the office and I've received a phone call and it was a male voice and it said, hey, um, I just want to let you know, Lissa won't be coming into work today. She's sick. Click. And they hung up. Well, this had never happened. She had never missed a day's work. And certainly if she was sick, unless she's in a coma somewhere, it, why couldn't she, Alyssa just call in and say, hey, you know what, I'm sick, I'm not coming in today. Yeah, yeah. Certainly she was friends with her coworkers, they, they loved her, um, and said she was the best employee ever, right? So the detective takes that information, and but still, there's not much he can do. But he did go to Stephen's grandmother's trailer and talk to them. They were like, nope, haven't seen him, right? Um, but again, the detective's got other stuff he's got to do and he goes on about his business. Well, the family wasn't happy with that and they ended up calling the news channels and, and trying to get a reporter to cover the case. Well, the reporter said basically what the detective said, which is, hey, you know what, you really don't have any signs of a crime or anything like that. Uh, the sheriff's office is not investigating it as a crime. And really, there's nothing to report on yet, right? Two adults, they could be anywhere, okay? And so the weekend goes, Sunday comes, they're more worried, and they call back, and the detective talks to him again, says, hey, you know, the, the, there's nothing we can do, basically. And the the t the detective did call Chief Kearney Foster and let him know, hey, you, we got this report of a missing lady, and the family's upset about it, and they even contacted the media. Well, that's the right thing to do because one thing Kearney didn't want to have happen is something hit the news and him not know about it or the sheriff not know about it. And the sheriff at the time, y'all – was my sheriff Willie Graves. So weekend comes and goes. And on Monday morning, Detective John Laudermilt got to work. Uh, he had been off for the weekend. And he said he got to the office at eight o'clock and he sits down and makes his cup of coffee. And the detective supervisor comes in and says, Hey, we got to go down and see Kearney. And then it was him. And detective, I, I don't know what her last name is now, y'all, but it was Benita Sager back then. And she had been a detective forever, uh, uh, probably 20, 25 years. And they were like, John told me, he was like, oh, shit. Uh, um, 
I got to go see Kearney on a Monday morning. That is never a good thing. And he was thinking, oh, shit, what did I do? Kearney's going to chew my ass for something or, you know. But they walked in Kearney's office, and Kearney said, hey, I want you all to know about this missing lady from the Linda Road trailer park. And he said, the family's pissed off. I've already got a call about this morning. I got a call about it this weekend from on-duty detectives. He said, you need to go shake some trees and find out what's going on. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Now, Lissa, like I told you, had a son. The son, her son, was away visiting the family members, okay? So he wasn't home. And, well, you're going to do what Kearney Foster says to do, right? And so they go, and they and they talk to the family members. Again, they looked in the trailer, it didn't see uh, any signs of blood or struggle or anything like that. But they went to her work, and they talked to the people who work. And again, everybody said she had never missed work in like three or four years that she had been there, uh, best employee ever. And they told about the phone call that came in on Friday morning and was a male voice. And that's you know kind of strange, right, like I said. But in talking to another one of our coworkers, that coworker gives up some information and she said, you know what? She's been dating Stephen Foster, and there's a huge age gap. And she said, to be honest, uh, um, when we met him, she said, I never liked him. And But she told me on Thursday that she was going home that night to break up with Stephen Foster. Well, a little bit of a red flag there, right? 
So John left, and he's like, you know what? Let me just run the Stephen Foster cat's name and see see what he's about. Well, when he ran Stephen Foster's name, came back that Stephen had two active warrants. I think one was for theft and like theft of a four-wheeler and something else. Maybe, I think it was a drug charge, I don't remember. But he had two active warrants. Well, now you got something you can use to go try to locate Stephen Foster. So they go to Stephen's grandmother's trailer and knock on the door and introduce himself. And he said, listen, is Stephen here? They're like, nope, hadn't seen him. They're like, well, he's got warrants for his arrest. And we know he's here. And basically he was bullshitting him. We know he's here. And, you know, you're harboring a fugitive and all this. And they ended up giving him up, right? So Stephen comes to the door. They take him into custody and arrest him under the warrants. Now, they bring him back to the sheriff's office to interview him and asked him, said, hey, uh, you do you know Alyssa? And he said, yeah, uh, I've been dating her. And he, um, we 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 got into an argument and broke up Thursday night. He said, but I hadn't seen her. I don't know where she's at. He said, in fact, I've been trying to call her myself. And they were like, really? Okay. And you hadn't been able to get in contact with her? Nope. And I don't know where she is. And I don't, I don't know what's going on. So they were like kind of a stonewall point. And, and John said, well, you know what, would you be willing to take a polygraph to prove you don't know where she's at? And he was like, yeah, okay. Y'all, you know, I'm a state licensed and board certified polygraphist. There's only two kinds of people that take a polygraph test. The ones who can take it because they can pass it or the ones who take it because if they refuse it, they're going to look guilty as hell. So at the time, uh, Livingston Parish didn't have an ex- polygraph examiner. I hadn't gone to school for it yet. I was there first. So they take him to Baton Rouge City and get an examiner to, you know, they schedule a test and they, they bring him in and the examiner gets him in the room. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this process. The By this time, Stephen Foster's got the red ass with the detectives. He didn't want to be there. They got him under arrest. He's being questioned about the disappearance of Alyssa. And um, so if they had brought him to me, and certainly I would have known uh, what the situation was ahead of time. They bring him in to me. I, the first thing I would have done when they brought him through the door is I would try to make separate myself from them. Okay. Basically, the polygraph, you're trying to get a confession. I would have been, they brought him in the door in handcuffs and shackles. And I'd been like, take that shit off of him. Why would you bring him to me? in handcuffs and shackles. You don't even know if this guy did anything. You know, take that off of him. And so, but certainly I'm not mad at the detectives. I'm just trying to um, let the examinee know that I'm on their side, trying to warn them over, bullshit them, if you will. So they do that, and the detectives leave the room, and then the polygraph process begins. Now, the first thing you have to do in the polygraph is you you have everybody has polygraph rights, so you got to get them past 
their polygraph rights, read it to them, and they have to consent to take the test. You can't force them to take the test. So the the you know you're buddying up to them and saying, I tell them every one of them. I, I tell them when they come in, hey, I, I read them their polygraph rights and say, hey, look, look, my advice to you is, if you can pass the test, take it. If you can't pass it. Don't take it with me because you're not going to cheat me and you're not going to beat me. But, but I'm here to help you. I, you know, I believe I'm going to believe whatever you're telling me. And unless when I get done with the examination, it shows me otherwise. So the examiner did that and got him to sign the polygraph rights. And, and certainly he had already been Mirandized, but he would have got him to sign the um, Miranda writes in, in that he could stop the polygraph at any time. That's what the polygraph rights say. You can refuse to answer any questions. You don't have to answer any questions you don't uh, want to. You can stop the test at any time you want to. And I'm not forcing you to take the test. So he got Stephen past all that. And uh, then you go into the formulation of the relevant questions for the test. And the relevant questions on when this test would have been, do you know where Alyssa is? Of course, the answer is no. And did you harm Alyssa? Now, you would never say murder because, first of all, you don't know if Alyssa's dead. Uh, but also, if you say murder, murder is a emotion-evoking question. And if you ask, did you murder Lissa on the test, you're going to get a, a strong response no matter whether or not you did it or, or you're innocent, right? So you, you say, did you harm Lissa anyway? Uh, do you know where Lissa is? Or, and are you being completely truthful to me in your statements about Lissa? Now, y'all, the polygraph test really is a long drawn out situation designed to break a person down now by the this time when you go through all the questions and you're being friendly with them and you, you know um he tells you you get him to tell you when's the last time he saw Alyssa? well i saw her thursday night and we got in an argument and i left haven't seen her since you know it's it's hours okay and then you attach them to the instrument, you explain how it works, and you go over the questions again, and then you run your first, what we call chart, or your first test. Now, under Louisiana law, you have to run at least two tests. Uh, generally, you run three or more, but at least two tests to get enough data to score the charts. Well, they, the examiner runs the test, and guess what? He fails, right? And so at the end of the test, you're like, man, you know, we got a problem here, Stephen. You had a very strong reaction of deception indicated to these questions. And, and listen, you know, um, polygraph doesn't lie. It, it, it's the inside of your body, your physiology that's responding to the questions. And you got to help me help you. And basically, y'all, it's just a long interrogation. You, you establish this contact with them, this bond with them, if you will. You make them believe you're the only lifeline in the world. And, and you're separate from the detectives who he's already pissed off at. And, you know, at some point during this process, 
Stephen Foster breaks down and he changes the story. And what he says is that he, Thursday night, he and Alyssa got into an argument. And during the argument, he magically blacks out and he wakes up on the floor of the kitchen and he looks over and Lissa's on the floor of the kitchen and she's dead. All right. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. While the polygraph test is going on, John Laudermilt happens to run more on Stephen Foster and Lissa. It comes to find out that Lissa had tried to have um, Stephen Foster evicted from her residence before this, just days before. Now, I'm going to explain how that process works. The And I guarantee you don't know this. In, in Louisiana, if I go to my best friend's house um, and I stay, I think it was like 10 days at the time, I spend 10 nights on his couch because my wife's got the red ass at me. Well, guess what? On the 11th day, you're considered domiciled there. You don't have to be. Your name doesn't have to be on the lease. You don't have to pay a bill, nothing, right? But after 10 days, you're considered a resident of that home, and the cops can't just kick you out because uh, the the girlfriend doesn't want you to stay there anymore. So that process to try to happen, and Alyssa found out basically that she, she was going to have to get in a formal eviction notice. And so now when you get the formal eviction, he has to be served with it, and then um, – then he still has five more days to stay there before the cops can evict him. And so that process, at least at least Lisa had to try to start that process. So it's back to the polygraph. He, like I said, changed the story, said they got into an argument and he magically blacks out, wakes up and she's dead on the floor. Right now, what's he doing? He's minimizing his involvement all right, he's changed his story because he likes the polygraph examiner. He knows his sugar's turned shit, and it, he's trying to say that, mm, well, I wouldn't be completely truthful, but I, I, I'm not going to tell you that I killed her, right? And I, I just magically blacked out. So the examiner says, okay, I mean, I can work with that. Well, well, tell me what happened when you woke up. And he said that he knew that he just couldn't leave her in the trailer, right? It would look bad for him. So what he does is he he takes her body. Now, Alyssa was uh, very small in statue, maybe 110 pounds, 115 pounds, and Stephen Foster wasn't that much bigger. And, I mean, he's 19 years old. I think he weighed like 160 pounds. And it, he had actually got to introduce to Lissa by a lifer, a fan that he used to date that was in the trailer park. And um, they were very good friends with Lissa. The, the girl broke up with him for whatever reason. So I think it was drug use. And he ended up dating Lissa. Now, why this was an attractive female, right? But why you think a 39 or 38 year old and a 19 year old hook up? Well, I mean, Lissa had been a single mom for a while 
and you know everybody on this planet got here because two people had sex right and and i'm pretty sure a 38 year old that's been single for a while has a 19 year old and there's an attraction there and you know i'm sure for the first couple of months it was um a good situation, I guess you would say, physically for him. Uh, the, but uh, it's uh, he, Stephen didn't work, right? So he's he hung out at her house. He ate her food every day. Um, the didn't have a job, wasn't contributing. And at some point, I'm sure the newness of the sex and the relationship wore off. Unless it's like, mm, you know what? I don't. This kid's not doing anything for me. He's he's causing problems in my life. He's he's a piece of shit, and I want to get rid of him. But that trailer, y'all, that when you face it, the, the um, where the her little truck is parked. This the trailer runs uh, diagonally from the road. Right, it's not like it's the whole trailer's facing the road. This is it's to to the left side of the road and her it has a little set of wooden steps with a little wooden porch and her truck was parked right at the um uh, there's only one parking spot for this trailer and her truck is parked right near the trailer now keep in mind there's trailers on the other very close to that on either side and right across the street so he takes Lissa's body he says he dr- drug her. At, oh, he went outside and he opened the passenger door on the truck. Okay, goes back inside. He he grabs her underneath her arms and he drags her onto the porch, down the steps, and puts her in the passenger seat of the truck. Now, this is small single cab truck. He sits her up in the seat and puts the seatbelt on her, right? Think about that. Sits her dead body up like she, you know, her back's against the seat, and seatbelts her in. And he said that he, he did that because he knew he had to get rid of her body, and um, he had to drive obviously somewhere else to do that. And he figured if he got stopped and or anybody that passed him by or whatever at a stop sign or a stoplight, they, they would just think she was asleep. So he takes her and he, he drives down Linda road and eventually hits Florida Boulevard and turns left. And he, he, drives and he keeps driving and now think about this y'all he's he's driving from Denham Springs and uh, all the way to the town of Livingston and that's five miles to the, like the Coel area and another five miles to the town of Livingston and then he took a left on uh, Highway 63 and drove up to uh, Highway 442, uh, uh, which is north of Livingston, and he took a ride on 442, and he went down and uh, 
that's that's a real rural area, y'all. I, I don't know what it is now, but back then it was really rural. And he went down and he found a little pool in in a wooded area. And he took her body out and he drug her into the woods. And there was a like a little drainage stitch, a little depression where water would run through during a rainstorm. And he wrapped her in garbage bags and covered her body with leaves. Okay. Gets back in the truck, drives back to the trailer park on Linda Road, gets his shit, leaves the trailer, puts the keys back inside, leaves the trailer. All right. So now he still hasn't admitted to killing her, but the polygraph examiner goes outside and tells John and Benita said, hey, hey, look, he said that he got into an argument with her. He blacked out and... He took her body and, and gave the general location. So what do you do? The, John said they ended up taking him out. Uh, they put him under arrest um, for Lissa's murder because even though he's minimizing, he's admitting that he dumped the body. And John said when they put him in the back of the, um, the unmarked Crown Vic, he said Stephen Foster just started going off like he was talking in tongues, just like gibberish, like, ah, ah, ah. He said, man, he said, what well, I didn't know this dude was, I mean, he's certainly he's handcuffed behind his back and he's got shackles on. And he said, but we don't have a wire cage. I don't know if this dude is going to try to bite me, reach forward and bite me or, or jump in the front seat with us. He said, in retrospect, I should have called a, um, a, you know, a, a marked unit to, to haul him in. But he said he just absolutely went fucking batshit and was like, speaking in tongues, uh, but not from Jesus, right? He, he said it was like the devil was coming out of him. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So they had to drive him back and bring him back in for questioning. I mean, back into the Texas office question and get him up there. And now he's really got the red ass with him. But they hit him hard and rightfully said and said, listen, you are fucked Okay, if you think a jury is going to believe that you just got into an argument with her and you just blacked out and you wake up and she's dead uh, on on the floor and this is your lover, that this is the person you've been living with for four or five months and you share it all the time with her and meals with her, you shared a bed with her and you get in an argument and you're just going to go dump her out in the woods and, you know, you need to tell the truth. You need to tell what happened. And, and this went on y'all for some time, and they, they ground him down. And ultimately, Stephen Foster admitted that he choked her, Lisa, to death. Okay? Um, now, choking is the very most intimate form of killing that there is. The studies show... It, in the best case scenario uh, for the victim, that the choking to death takes at least a minute and a half. On average, it's up to three minutes. 
all right? And think about that. You know, if you shoot someone and kill them, that's one thing. You don't, you're not touching them. If you stab someone and kill them, that's a little more intimate, right? Because at least you got to touch their body and be in contact with them. But if you wrap your hands around someone's throat, you're looking into their eyes and you're squeezing. And when you first start to squeeze, they're going to be fighting, right? They're going to, you know, first of all, be shocked that you're doing it. And then they're they're going to start to fight and then their air is cut off. Then this is in a minute and a half, best case scenario, the air is cut off and the face is going to start to turn blue. Eyes are going to start to bulge and, Closer to the minute mark, the um, the blood vessels are going to bust in the eyes. That's where you get the petechia hemorrhaging you hear about in all the, the, the murder cases or whatever shows y'all watch. So that the, the oxygen is cut off to the brain. You're squeezing this person so hard. And at some point during that minute, minute and a half, you you're so full of this anger and you're squeezing them so hard you you're literally you're choking the life out of them you're looking them in the eyes and at some point they went from fighting to trying to beg and say please please don't and and you're still squeezing as hard as you can because you can't let up now and your anger and your pissed and your 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 sole intent is to choke the life out of this person out of your lover but around the minute and a half mark the blood vessels in your neck break and lisa would have had some blood coming out of her mouth her eyes would have been bulging her blood vessels bust her eyes would turn red and you're looking them in the face the whole time you're doing this until you squeeze and you squeeze and you squeeze and you squeeze and their face is blue until some point they're dead and they stop resisting. The body goes limp and you drop them to the floor like a piece of garbage. But what what did he do then? Did he call? I mean, you certainly... After you realize Lissa's dead, the, the, you, you have options, right? And, and you could be like, holy fuck, I just did this. I can't believe I just did this to the woman I love, to the woman who gave me you know, her home and, and I shared a life with her. Um, um, he could have been filled with remorse and called 911 and said, Oh my God, oh my God. And people do it every day. Oh my God, I just killed my wife or I just killed my husband. You know, please send somebody to help him. It might not be too late, right? He didn't do that. You know, he didn't do anything to help her. All he did was try to help himself. And think about that. You, you get garbage bags, first of all. Uh, um, you go out, you open the door on the truck, then you got to go back inside and drag your lover down the steps, put her in the truck, and you have the presence of mind to seatbelt her in in case you get stopped or in case someone sees you driving. And you take her out there and wrap her in some garbage bags, lay her in a, in a ditch, right? 
So I went up there the, the, uh, to look for the body based off the area. This is why this interrogation is going on, y'all. They're, they're breaking them down and getting the, the real truth out of them. So I went up to there. I'm very familiar with the area. But when you turn on 442, shit, it's all woods, right? There were several pull-ins, and I pulled into several of them and, and you know, try to walk in the woods and look, and, and I couldn't find it. And and so it's it's summertime, it's hot. She's been missing for days now, um, and so we went back. And I went back and I told her, I said, I can't find, I can't find her. And and so, uh, Chief Foster said sent somebody to the jail to get those portable generator lights, and, and um, but he also told them to take. Stephen Foster up there in handcuffs and shackles in a caged unit and have him show them where he dumped Lissa's body. So they did that. I followed him up there, and it was further than where I had searched. But when he that unit stopped and it said, it's right here, this is the pull-in. And then, y'all, I'm not trying to be too graphic. I'm just telling you what I saw. When I got out of the car, I knew immediately because the smell of death hit me, right? the When I said he wrapped her in garbage bags, I don't mean he duct taped her up. He just, like, laid garbage bags over her and then covered her up with the dirt and the leaves. And we go <clears> – <throat> he didn't have to get out of the car. They left him in the unit. We go in, and her body – you could see – First of all, you can smell it. The, the the smell of the decomposing body is undeniable, right? And we could see the little mound because he didn't dig a grave. He just laid in that little ditch, and you could see the, the stuff on top of her. But more importantly, it looked like the ground was moving from the maggots, right? And it's hard to hear. But it's the truth, and and the flies. I remember the flies on top of the stench. Uh, the flies were off just buzzing all around like a swarm of flies, and then the ground looked like it was moving from the maggots. Now, what the, that happens is, y'all, and they've studied this at uh, first place to really study was a place called the Body Farm at University of Tennessee, and they would get bodies donated. And they put them out in every kind of weather and every kind of temperature and all that. And they studied how long it took them to decompose. And one of the things they learned is from the time a fly first finds the body as it starts to decompose and they lay eggs, those eggs turn into maggots and the maggots eat until they turn. Uh, and they, maggots actually are like, they can, they can take a maggot, that's actively eating off the, the, the dead body and look at it under a microscope and they can tell you what generation that maggot is, if that makes sense, because the maggots eat and, and turn into flies and, 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 you know, whatever. And, but they can tell you how long that body has been there almost within 12 hours. Um, so it was a horrible way to find her, and, and we did get those lights set up in and had to call the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab uh, and roped off the area, even though it was woods, 
and searched the area for any signs of anything, which there wasn't. Um, and then ultimately ended up removing the pine straw and the leaves from her body and had to remove the, gar- the garbage bags and the, the maggots and stuff. And the coroner was there. Um, and for lack of a better term, tagged her and bagged her. Right. And the, um, took her in for the autopsy and yes, she was strangled to death. Her uh, neck bone was broken and that, you know, certainly fits with what Steven said. Uh, he was charged with second degree murder of Lisa Foster and rightfully so. Uh, and for second degree murder in the state of Louisiana, all you have to have is specific intent. Now y'all, that doesn't mean you plan it out ahead of time. It's specific intent is is short as like a, a mosquito lands on you, and then in that instant the mosquito lands and starts to bite you, you slap it right. I mean, you, you had intent, specific intent at that point when it lands on you, starts to bite you. The specific intent is informed when you raise your hand and you slap the mosquito. Stephen Foster choked her to death and at some point when he started choking her when he wrapped his hands around her throat and started choking her he had this specific intent to kill her charged with second degree murder of Lessa a woman a great mother a great friend uh, a great person uh, by, by Everyone in Ewer, um, just a sad, sad, sad thing. And a piece of shit, 19-year-old, killed her. And you know why? Ultimately, what he said, he said, I killed her because I couldn't take her breaking up with me. And y'all, I misspoke. Y'all, Stephen wasn't 19. He was 21. Said so this still a significant age difference, 17 years. But he said, I killed her because I couldn't take her breaking up with me. He's in prison to this day. And I hope he's gotten prison justice for all these years. And we got, I guess that's 2004, 16, 19 years. And I don't know, fucked up. And, it, and of course, our, our hearts go out to Lissa's family and friends and everybody in her and her son. Um, you know, it's a hard story to hear, but I think we've become somewhat desensitized to murder because you hear about it every day and you see it on the shows every day and stuff like that. But choking someone to death, choking your lover to death, and then driving her across the parish and dumping her like a piece of trash in the summer heat. I don't know. It's fucked up. But I'm going to conclude this episode of Seatbelt. And naturally, I named it Seatbelt because that's the only case I've ever heard ever where 
somebody's seat belted their victim in and, and posed them like they were asleep in the vehicle to, to go dump the body. Um, I want to thank you for listening, liking, and sharing. I'm going to go back to more old cop stories. Uh, I know I bounced around a lot and everything to y'all today, y'all. I'm basically going from memory. And that's what season 13 is going to be bringing you more of uh, more murder stories, more um, cases that I've been involved in one way or another personally. And I appreciate you listening and thank y'all for liking and sharing and helping us grow. A lot of big things coming still. Um, go listen to my other podcast, Bloody Angola. Uh, we got to do two lives last month for that. And they were sold out. And, of course, thank you again for everybody who just came to the fourth annual Crew Bash, which was last Friday in in. Saturday night, and thank you for everybody who bought Lopa raffle tickets. Hey, Patreon and Convict members, thank you so much for your support. I hope you enjoyed your bonus episode last week, which was somebody provided me with a recording of the victim's impact statements in Courtney Coco's trial. The audio was shit. I had never listened to it, um, but you could definitely hear what was being said including David Anthony Burns stood up and said his dumbass statement. So I hope I say, I hope you enjoyed it because I, I know it was emotional and the most horrible thing you could ever he- want to hear. And my buddy Shane McBride, who came in from Wisconsin to watch my back for that part of the trial because of the other shit that happened to me. Um, and I mean, he's he's not a true crime guy, and we left, but he is a, a army veteran. And we left. He said, "Man, fuck that! I never want to hear any shit like that again in my life." Uh, so, if you hadn't listened to it, Patreon convicts, go listen to it. If you want to become a Patreon or convict, um, Patreon members or s- subscribers, we have different tier levels with different benefits, like commercial free early releases and. Just all kinds of different stuff. Uh, so go take, check out the different tier levels. And convicts are the basically our subscribers through the Real Life Real Crime Community app. If you haven't downloaded that, go to the App Store and download it for free. It's I get put in Facebook jail every single week, okay? And I always do a post about it. Um, when they do that to me, I'm the only one who censors the Real Life Real Crime community app, and it is everything Real Life Real Crime times a million, okay? There's forums, there's chat groups, there's games, there's all the the latest update on our cases and all that stuff, and it's free, y'all. You don't have to subscribe to become to, to view it, but if you want to become a convict, that's what I affectionately call the subscribers in the app, then you get all those benefits uh it's just same thing as patreon just through our app so uh back to the lopa thing thank you again uh, uh i'm gonna announce the winners of all the big raffles next week because when i'm recording this, this this is two days before the drawing and uh, i want to again appreciate everyone who bought raffle tickets congratulations to all the winners uh, there's some fantastic prizes and I'll do them on the next episode but Lopa the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency saves lives y'all the, the it's just I can never 
tell you how important it is. They're a nonprofit. They're my jam. Uh, you know, we've been raising money for them now for three years um, to try to support them in their endeavors and what they do. And what they do is save lives. And so if you want to become an organ donor and you're a lifer and you're not from the state of Louisiana, you can still do it. Go to lopa.org, click on the section to fill out to become an organ donor. It takes like two minutes and give the gift of life or sight or whatever. And you could be from Austria and want to become an organ donor. You don't have to be from Louisiana. Go to lopa.org, fill it out, become a hero, give the gift of life. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Yeah, the rights remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights?